0: Welcome to the Leadership Pulse, Healthcare Culture's New Heartbeat. I'm your host, Becky Wolf, and I am excited. This week we're getting to talk to Dr. Brad and Megan Patton about direct primary care. Stay tuned. Drs. Megan and Brad Patton are board certified family medicine physicians in Hudson, Ohio. They're a husband and wife team who have a direct primary care practice, Acropolis Health, offering comprehensive family medicine services in a uniquely private and comfortable setting. Dr. Brad's clinical focus is men's health, while Dr. Megan focuses on pediatric and women's health. They have a passion for preventative care using a proactive approach. They partner with individuals and families to guide healthy behaviors, which leads to happier homes and stronger communities. Learn more about their practice at www.myacropolishealth.com. Dr. Brad, Dr. Dr. Megan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Good to How be are here. you
0: both doing? We're good. Great. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to talk about direct primary care. Uh, but before we start that, I usually start the podcast off with asking one question to all of my guests. Um, so if there is one thing you could shout from the rooftops you want everyone in healthcare to hear about leadership, culture, or just healthcare in general, what would that be? I
1: think that- We think that right now, the best thing for everyone to know is you have options, you know, wherever your entry point is for any of those um, sectors, you have options, physicians, patients, uh, employees, administrators. There's never been a time uh, like now where people have been so disconnected seeming from one another or uh, the system within which they get their care or the place that they work. And so having people uh, understand that there are options now we feel like is the best thing for everybody to know mm-hmm. uh, and empowering people to know that.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Anything you would add, Megan? Yeah, that we were talking about kind of like the biggest thing that sort of drove us to doing this model of care is the feeling of that we didn't have options at the time. And as soon as we learned about something like this, the burnout seemed to sort of start to fizzle, um, just knowing that there were options out there for us. And so now when we communicate with our colleagues and hear the the struggles or talk to patients and hear the struggles, the biggest thing, whether they do exactly what we're doing or not, is just let them know, you know, you have you have options and second opinions and whatever. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that um, Feeling that feeling of trapped is what leads a lot to burnout. You know, you've had a, a number of guests on that have talked mm-hmm. about burnout yeah. and how to, uh, you know, how to optimize outcomes in mm-hmm. healthcare. And I think all those things are intertwined. And we think that a lot of that is born out of the idea that people feel trapped. Mm-hmm. I mean, not unlike other industries, when you know things a lot of drive drive a lot of the other uh, unhappiness. And mm-hmm. so, you know, for physicians, uh, especially where we uh, were practicing in a large group. Uh, it seemed like there was a lot of paralysis uh, out of fear. You know, the yeah. fear of disruption, disrupting st- stability, but knowing that you're not happy in that space. And yeah. I think as physicians, what that leads us to do is be more disconnected from our patients, which they sense that. I mean, we were we were in practice uh, with a large health system here in Northeast Ohio for uh, five years. And during that time, one thing that became quickly evident to us and gave us the confidence to make this move was that the sentiment amongst patients seemed to be that really, they kept coming back to the trough because they felt connected to us. They didn't, you know, it wasn't this allegiance to a corporation. Mm -hmm. Uh, It seemed that they were, you know, they were happy with the interaction. It just seemed like there was a longing for more. And we weren't in an arena where we could really offer more from time, resource. I mean, Mm -hmm. you're clinical background I'm sure yeah. you have a, a deep understanding of those limitations yeah uh,
0: absolutely and I love that you highlighted the lack of hope like hopelessness is what leads to burnout the cynicism mm-hmm. that comes along with that and not feeling connected to patients exactly like what you said so let's get into direct primary care so why did you choose that why did you choose that as your option to open a clinic and practice that way
2: so Brad and I used to joke when we were starting our careers um, that we would open a practice, a lot of our family would kind of joke like, oh, patent and patent. And we sort of tucked it away as probably not possible, just given the fact that like at the time, not knowing about the direct care model, your only option to open a private practice was to try to negotiate with insurance companies and you just can't compete with the big health systems. And then in, in northeast Ohio, where we decided to settle down. That it just did not seem possible. Um, we don't have like a big nest egg to start a you know a practice like that. So when we learned about this model years before, we decided to take the leap. Um, it basically just it we couldn't get it out of our minds is is the idea of it. So knowing that it worked, it has worked for close to a couple decades um, in other parts of the country. Um, seeing where we live, there's, like Brad said, a yearning for this, something different, um, a better connection, just different options. We essentially just knew that this was the answer, this model um, above, like we explored concierge practices that were asking for, you know, like partners and things like that. But it just wasn't exactly what we were trying to deliver. We wanted it to be affordable for like, just kind of, average person in our community rather than what concierge is. A lot of people get ask us this question, what's the difference between concierge mm-hmm. and drug care? And the biggest thing is that we don't bill insurance. So we have eliminated that factor of sort of like a headache and like what requires more staff and things like that to take care of. And um, <clears throat> yeah, so that's probably yeah, it. it's it's just
1: I think it the, the simplicity us. was the attractiveness. You know, direct yeah. primary care, uh, it's sort of predicated totally. on this foundation of Stepping away from insurance is the biggest piece of simplicity. You know, when you don't have to, when you're not attached to diagnosis codes and mm-hmm. having to bill for time, and yeah. when you don't think about delivery of healthcare within those parameters, it's mm-hmm. very liberating. Yeah. Um, also, we had a strong passion for transparency. You know, we felt like one of the leading things that we heard our patients express frustration about was mm-hmm. the murkiness of the healthcare world, not understanding what something might cost or why they're doing something uh you know a lot of decisions that drove people to either not follow through with uh pieces that uh, their doctor or somebody else had, had recommended mm-hmm. or a lot of apprehension about how might this impact my life financially and these days you know the statistics are clear where you know most Ameri- more Americans are under debt because of you know a medical debt than anything else so you know that w- that was a problem for us because mm-hmm. We got into family medicine uh, because we love working with people uh, and family medicine you know I, I, you had another guest um, not too long ago who said don't get into healthcare if you're looking to try and get rich like don't <laughs> don't don't base your decision on income and that's mm-hmm. so true and you know i think primary care is a great example of that because you've really got to have a passion for doing it mm-hmm. uh, and for us direct primary care you know gave us the entry point we were looking for where It was, uh, you know, it was pretty low uh, as far as an entry point, pretty easy, low overhead primary care. We don't have a lot of operating capital we need. We don't need Mm -hmm. large surgical suites or access to Mm -hmm. ORs. You know, pretty much people are just showing up because of you and, you know, your skill set and your ability to be an advocate for them, Mm -hmm. which is why, you know, before we started, we were joking about when we first moved into our space. It's tiny. It's a thousand square feet. Um, it probably resembles nothing that you would think a doctor's office would look like, and we love it that way because when people come in, they often refer to it feeling like they're coming into our home. And to mm-hmm. us, that's there's no greater compliment than that uh, because you know that's that's the kind of comfort we really want their initiation their initial point of contact. They yeah. want that feel because. I mean anybody that's been in a medical setting can relate that mm-hmm. you walk in it's 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 unnerving yeah. um, you know it's un, it's typically sterile there's not a lot of identity there's a very systematic process to it, but we also want to be clear that as direct primary care doctors we're not um you know sometimes there's this thought even amongst our patients mm-hmm. that followed us from our prior practice that you know we're out to kind of um, tear down the machine and mm-hmm. it's definitely you know we, yeah. we find that we just want we people with the machine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Why, yeah, yeah we want people to feel like mm-hmm. um, whatever your interest or your priority is find your entry point but be confident that if you're unhappy in whatever your setting is mm-hmm. there's an opportunity for change but that change won't come without you know, realization and, and sort of taking that step. Uh, but I think that goes with any industry in any, mm-hmm. any aspect of our lives, you know, we're looking to, to make change.
0: Yeah. And I love like your willingness to explore just opportunities. And it sounds like the direct primary care was the thing in the back of your mind. You just couldn't shake. Mm -hmm. And like the relationship you were building with your patients was the most important thing. Yeah. Um, Can you tell me specifically about a patient or a couple encounters that you've had that have been like, we made the right choice. (laughs) We (laughs) made the right choice from walking away from traditional health care and doing something different.
1: For sure. Yeah. I mean, I have a a patient that Megan and I were talking about this, this question before. And You know, one of the biggest pieces in getting into direct primary care is having the time with your patients, the time to really get to know them, get to know them on a much deeper level, comprehensive aspects of their life that affect uh, their decision making and and how their health trajectory goes. And there was a patient that I worked with in our previous setting for the bulk of our time there, so four to five years. And we really struggled to make a lot of progress on some pretty basic uh, foundational health issues. And within the first year, you know, we're not even uh, we're 10 months into our practice now. And uh, this this person was one of the first people to onboard with us. And, you know, when you're first starting, it's like whoever shows up, you'll take you just want proof of concept. Right. And yeah. so I, we definitely I was thinking, man, I'm not compelled. Mm-hmm. I don't know where, you know, where we're going to find our common ground. We struggled to make any progress. Um, we might spin our wheels. And within a very short period of time, it became quite evident quickly that. The biggest thing standing in our way was just us being able to connect and once we did and we both had a better understanding of each other they became he became a much more engaged patient i was able to offer more to him as a physician and we've made more progress in the last nine months than we did in five years before and uh, you know that 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 just speaks volumes about what's possible when we break this down to more of a relationship and identity and mm-hmm. um, yeah so that's that's definitely mm-hmm. mine
0: yeah
2: yeah. Overall, I think, um, I, I can't there's not like one huge case that, you know, confirms why I did this. It's more like when we have when we take a new patient and they are asking us, um, could you please take care of my family member, whoever, my, you know, daughter, would you be willing to take care of my whoever sister? Um and just kind of like the repeated sort of um trust in us in their closest family members you know um and that goes for like you know when we were at uh it's just a little bit different here because you're really i mean this is this is a different concept for people to sort of jump on with us you know um so there's like that confidence in again like we said our sort of just the connection we have with our patients what we're you know willing to do for for them and now some of the barriers and boundaries we had before we don't have as far as um like how we communicate with our patients, the you know sort of direct way that we can communicate with them. Um, yeah, yeah, I so. mean,
1: Doctor Steinick did a great job in the mm-hmm. times you've had him on about you know he's in their with their group. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they work in kind of like a, ha- a capitated mm-hmm. model, but yeah. so the the incentive structure is different. It's actually I would say arguably more similar to what we have, where yeah. you know your incentive is really trying to maximize the patient's outcome to
0: take the best care of the patient Yeah, really
1: ownership of the patient ownership over the outcomes Mm -hmm. and we feel like you know our model is a little bit even more of that because Mm -hmm. uh, the patient is paying out of their pocket resources to us Mm -hmm. and we have plenty of patients in our practice that budget for our practice. Right. So it's not just disposable income. It's it's intentional income that yep. they're using to, to be a member of our practice. And we take great ownership of that. You know, we, we really want people to feel like they're getting value uh, for what we're offering. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like Megan said, when, when they recommend us to a family member, or would even consider us for taking care of a family member, it tells us, you know, that's the greatest, um, uh, that's the greatest confidence they could show us, Uh, you know, a compliment we could get is is that word of mouth. And so far, it's, it's wrong true, because we've not done, uh, arguably any advertising since we Mm -hmm. started. And uh, we've grown at about the maximum rate we could, Uh, we can accommodate, we could accommodate, it's just Mm -hmm. the two of us. Um, So Mm -hmm. yeah, we've it, it's it's worked out quite well that's yeah.
0: exciting
1: it's yeah. resonated
2: for sure. that's amazing the situations i think that make me feel sort of um the, like a renewed sense of a vitality for being you know a failing medicine doctor is like um you know like again we had seen people a lot of them followed us um we vaguely knew their background there's only so much time we could really focus on their home life and like their barriers and things like that and um when we, you know, I'll see a patient like that, who, for instance, I'm thinking of somebody who has um, a child who's disabled and spouses away, oftentimes for work or whatever. And she, you know, like had a situation that was essentially like urgent to emergent. And um, she just was like, so thankful that I, she could text me and I called her and took care of something that should be just by common sense, able to be taken care of without the boundaries of, you know, that we had to work in, um, within and, um, took care of the problem in like two days. And it was like, that was awesome. You know, I do have to like, you know, we constantly have to create boundaries because it could get easily. We could be like, I'll just come to your house. Like it's so, it's (laughs) so like, and like, it feels so good to be able to have like, no, not no boundaries, but like you create your boundaries, you know? Yeah. So that's a,
1: yeah, one of the things we talk a lot about uh, is uh, the the reflex time. You know, in a, in a big healthcare system, there's a there's chains of command, and so you're not able to as quickly adapt mm-hmm. uh, and adjust workflow processes or operational processes as maybe okay. you when you you know when you identify it in real time. And you know, I think for us, uh, you know, everybody's industry changed when COVID hit, but yeah. that was a big eye opener for us when we realized that wow, we've got to quickly adapt to try and be available for patients. And it showed us how important that was to Mm -hmm. people when we were willing to think outside the box to get in touch with them, whether in the early days, it was just FaceTiming them, um, you know, just being on the phone with them, anything to stay connected to them. And in our current practice, where there are no limitations. We can adapt it as we see fit as we go and adapt it to the needs of our patients. It's great. It's just, like Megan yeah. said, the, the balance of not creating the prison that we left. You know, yeah. or that, that's that yeah. idea, the concept yeah. of, yeah. you know, we've, we felt like we were giving so much to one thing and the imbalance in our lives. And there's yeah. definitely... And I think, uh, you know, we, we talk with a lot of the other uh, direct primary care and direct care docs in our area. Uh, and I think everybody, you know, it's hard because you get so eager and excited about it, but mm-hmm. yeah, you don't want to then just create the same, right. um, yeah, same prison that you left. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's, yeah. Being very conscientious of how you're Absolutely. practicing medicine and then yeah. the stipulations you have with your patients and things. But yeah, I can imagine it just gives you a renewed sense of energy. Like you were saying, mm-hmm. Megan, um, that's amazing. So one question I have too, so preventative care uh, mm-hmm. that you offer, what does that look like? Because that's not traditionally offered in a family doctor's office, right? right. So I yeah. don't know, honestly, very many family doctors that offer much preventative care. So tell me about that. What's that look like?
2: Yeah. We have this discussion with a lot of potential patients who are interested in their questions. It commonly is, would you be able to do my yearly physical is like a pervertum <laughs> question. <laughs> and I yeah. have I have to, you know, reserve myself and say, you know, and explain how it works now that we have time and we don't, we can talk about things that your insurance company doesn't necessarily have to agree is important to you, you know, to be able to bill it so that I do have time to talk to you about it. Yeah. Um, so, prevention is that, like, it's an ongoing discussion pretty much every time I connect with somebody, I'm doing some sort of prevention of chronic disease. We're making sure, you know, cancer screenings are up to date and things like that. And I'll have somebody like we both have people in for like a full physical, like we're spending at least an hour with people top to bottom, of course. But um, in this setting, we got to dive in, we get to dive in more into what we're interested in, which is like, optimizing how you feel like people are like, I don't go to the doctor, but once a year because I don't have any problems. But when you start to dig in, they're like mm-hmm. they're, their sleep quality is poor and they they're, you know, their parent has like Alzheimer's and they're afraid they're going to get that or whatever the case. Um, they're creeping towards like pre diabetes or whatever. And we get to actually really dive into these topics in a meaningful way and use so much of the research that's out there that we don't have time to deliver that or talk about it in the previous setting. So yeah, prevention is like hugely important to us. Um, And for each of us, it looks different, you know?
1: Yeah. I think the, the, Probably the way that we approach it, the simplest way to think about it is uniquely tailoring the care mm-hmm. plan to each patient. You know, everybody's yeah. in, every patient's entry point with us is different. Yeah. Megan sees pediatric patients. Sometimes she gets them literally right out of the gate, newborns. Yeah. Um, but for most people, uh, I would say it's uh, early adult. So mm-hmm. 30 to 40, that's kind of our entry point. Okay. And most people, uh, you know, it's it's interesting to see the, the trends between our practices. Mm-hmm. But, you know, speaking to like how I see men, most men are not that active or engaged with their healthcare between the ages of, say, 20 and 40. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just generally yeah. kind of how it is. Uh, and then once it starts to feel like a heavy machine to lug around and maybe there's mm-hmm. some problems or it's not functioning the way they want it to, then that's kind of when the entry point happens or when they get a nice nudge from a spouse to be like, hey, you got to go in and get checked out. Something's going on.
0: I've heard that multiple times (laughs) from patients when I was doing patient care. They're like, oh, my wife made me come. Yeah, right. (laughs) It's
1: probably the single greatest chief complaint. Yeah, exactly. uh, Most men. Yeah. 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 Uh, But so, you know, medicine for decades now has been set up to be quite reactive. You know, Mm -hmm. we've been incentivized as as clinical providers to care for problems after they've occurred and start to try to manage those problems. There's not been a heavy emphasis on how do we. Deploy early identification and then counseling or treatment regimens to try and avoid mm-hmm. the onset the, of that disease. I mean, the reality is the way we define disease, I think, is problematic and current standards because we define it once it's clinically manifested in some way. An A1C is abnormal, uh, an artery is blocked. You know, we've got um, signs of a cancerous tumor somewhere. The reality is, I think, if we If we play upstream from that and think about, well, what are some of the earliest indicators? What are, you know, what has research shown are significant risk factors for certain disease processes? How do we make our entry point of conversation with people around, okay, tell me all about your habits? And that's why Mm -hmm. the comprehensive nature that we know our patients, what's their work environment, their home environment, their health Mm -hmm. environment, every environment they exist in, what are the variables Mm -hmm. at play? Yeah, family history, uh, you know. We try to take all of that and uh, dilute it down to, okay, Mm -hmm. for this person, these are the things that we're seeing that would probably merit the bulk of our attention right now. And a lot of that depends on how long do we have to work with them? Mm -hmm. If your entry point is 65, there's... Uh, you know, you're taking care of higher priority topics because you don't have the luxury of putting in motion maybe things that are going to be 20-year payouts. Whereas, you know, your younger patients, it's more about, okay, if you've got healthy habits, how do we groom and continue those? And then how do we identify things that over time could become problems? And, you know, barriers for a lot of people have been things that are associated with costs. So labs, you know, basic lab tests tell us a tremendous amount about the physiology of how our body's functioning. But, you know, a lot of people's... uh, Hesitancy with that is not knowing what's my insurance going to pay for this, and mm-hmm. as doctors, we don't know either. <laughs> right, <laughs> and you know, yeah, and usually 100%. it's it's relatively basic. I think these mm-hmm. days we've got a luxury of a trove of scientific data mm-hmm. um, and just uh, the ability to have larger platforms for for mm-hmm. you know new information that's coming out and more on the frontier. Mm-hmm it's given us a a different opportunity to uh, engage with people uh, on those levels and like for our practice and most practices like ours uh, we use independent labs where we have pre-negotiated contract rates for cash prices so Mm -hmm. on that note of transparency we can sit down with a patient and say okay if these are the labs we would recommend you consider this Mm -hmm. is the testing and then maybe other pieces that they're interested in that seem appropriate for their situation we can tell them exactly what their cost is. And so a patient can then just determine for themselves, mm-hmm. okay, does that seem reasonable? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it removes a great deal of that mm-hmm. barrier to entry, that hesitancy. Uh, it also, it gives it, it's a great educate everything's a great education opportunity. You yeah. know, it's an opportunity for us to educate them as to why we think these are important. Because, you know, we both feel convicted in that if we can't articulate and convince somebody why this should be important to them, mm-hmm. And we're not doing our job well enough, mm-hmm. um, and and yeah. you know that's on us uh, because mm-hmm. at the end of the day that you know that empowerment of the patient to be, the biggest engine driving their own health, right. uh, mm-hmm. that's that's the marker of our success. Mm-hmm. It's not us doing the heavy lifting it's partnering with the patient to empower them
0: and that's what i hear with this model in particular is really the collaboration with the patient to get the best outcome and that's an ownership for them too it's Mm -hmm. like you get to be involved where i think in traditional primary or traditional healthcare in general um any way the way i experienced it with working with some of the docs i've worked with it was more like you know take this medication the studies back it up and if you don't they almost Felt, I think it was imposed on them, and I could feel that yeah. from them. And that mm-hmm. was like the harsh reality of like, we're not doing enough for people, we're not listening. Mm-hmm. So that's the sense that I get with how you're practicing.
1: So yeah. it's the you highlight a great point, which is that adversarial mm-hmm. sense, you know, where it's. Physicians, you know, or clinical providers, clinicians pitted against patients, patients mm-hmm. pitted against clinicians, yeah. staff. I mean, and so you've got this triangulation of, of almost adversarial relationships that becomes counterproductive. Mm-hmm. And
2: everybody's protecting themselves time yep. wise. Or, yeah. 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 And
1: I think that's another thing that uh, with like direct care models have mm-hmm. shown is that. When you develop that really strong foundation of trust the concern about uh, like frivolous litigation and you know all the things that we do for mm-hmm. the purposes of, of liability a lot of that gets reduced and you know any any little bit you can shave of time that's yeah. not pertinent to clinical outcomes or, mm-hmm. or you know yeah. patient interest that all adds up and it, yeah. it increases uh you know the, the user experience immensely
0: mm-hmm. yeah yeah So what's it been like starting a business? (laughs) Oh,
1: wow. We have no idea. (laughs) Uh, That we know literally.
2: Yeah. Uh, Well, there was a fog that I had while we were starting our business of like postpartum. So Mm -hmm. a lot of the things that we, when we, when I was done, when I had a baby last year, my time that I could commit to developing the business like accelerated. So we were sort of dabbling as much as we could after work Mm -hmm. and at night and things like that. But everything pretty much started when I had the baby and I, you know, gave myself a couple weeks. But I started like, you know, all the research, all the Mm -hmm. just like trying to find things affordably. And then when Brad was done, we kind of coincided so that we could be done, give ourselves a month and then start together, uh, which wasn't originally the the plan. But um (laughs)
1: Yeah, we kind of just did a blind leap of faith. We like didn't. We had this, well, we had this we really smooth, this smart- staggered plan that probably would have been a lot more. <laughs> if we had a financial advisor, they would have been like, yeah, do yeah, that, that, was that. My, that that
2: yeah. was my plan originally because I'm yeah. like very careful. So <laughs> I we were going to, yeah, stagger. But we're like, no, what? No, this is not going to work. We have to do it together. Um But anyway, so uh, what was I going with that? Well, the-
1: so, yeah, I, for us, I think it's like knowing yourself, too. For us, we knew that. To be honest, we were we're a couple that we kind of needed there to be no going back. Like Mm -hmm. we needed that band aid to be off. And that way all of it was forward. You know, we talk with a lot of people that that worked into their own practice, especially Mm -hmm. on their own in like a direct care space. And a lot of people stagger it with the remaining fully employed with a health system. And but what that, you know, obviously Mm -hmm. leads to is division of your attention. And so not being able to devote all those resources to Mm -hmm. it, which. You know, everybody's situation is different, but for us, we almost it's, it's almost a luxury we didn't know what we didn't know <laughs> yeah. until we got rolling. Um, but it also was a, you know, true to form and, and for our theme, we set out and embarked on this with really the biggest priority being how do we align our life with mm-hmm. kind of the values and sort of the, the trajectory that we had a vision for. Mm-hmm. Uh, And balance our life. You know, Mm -hmm. we've got two young girls under the age of five. Like Megan said last year when we did all this, it was fresh on the heels of having our second daughter. And, you know, like a lot of people in America, we came to realize that our options as physicians, if we were to stay in its current state, would be allow someone else to raise our daughters or raise our kids, Mm -hmm. you know, while we take care of everybody else's family. And you know, while we feel very appreciative to have the opportunity to be involved intimately in people's lives every day, Mm -hmm. it's probably not a healthy balance, you know. And, uh, you know, we talk about burnout. I think that's where a lot of it comes from. When you know, you're struggling with uh, acclimating kids to just Mm -hmm. the basic early lessons. And you start to realize, like, man, I'm telling everybody else how to raise their kids and how to optimize their kids health. And then I feel this guilt of neglecting my own household. And Mm so we really want to just How do we, you know, Megan and I, uh, we we were talking at dinner the other night, how, you know, we spend probably 95% of our day together. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's been that way since we were in medical school and started dating. And I think we're lucky in that we just both have personalities where that works. But uh, that's also what we were seeking. We wanted to structure our day in a Mm -hmm. way where our lives in a way where we're not a physician nine to five you know, mom or dad, Mm -hmm. uh, five to seven and then spouses beyond that, whatever is left, you know, we wanted a more fluid experience where our identity could just be more homogenous, you know, and spread evenly over those things where we don't have to feel like if we're doing something one minute, we're, you know, stealing from this other aspect. We just, we really want that identity to be fluid. That's
2: Mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That's, Go ahead. Back to when we were starting the practice or, or learning about starting a business, probably a year before we even started, uh, we were reading sort of dividing and conquering on topics like, you know, branding, marketing, starting a medical practice, meeting people that have done this. Like um, there's one there's one physician similar to ours in Beechwood. Um, and she nice. was very helpful. There's another one in Farallon. She's very helpful. So there's been such a good community of people like this supporting us. And um, everybody kind of shares information in this model. Yeah, that's what's for been some, great. It's too. been I mean, very yeah. open. You yeah. were
1: in large-scale medicine for a time. It's not – I wouldn't consider it collaborative. You know, no. it's very siloed. And, um, again, that's almost adversarial, too, where colleagues um, – you know, yeah. it's challenging. So one of the biggest things we were impressed with is once we started – demonstrating interest in this and reaching mm-hmm. out to some doctors that were already in this space, yeah. how open source it is. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, when you're talking about practices that generally have maybe five to 700 patients mm-hmm. uh, per doctor instead of 3000, or you're mm-hmm. just gobbling up as much as you can, no longer does it become a game of, okay, well, if this patient's seeing you, that's one less patient that I could see. Instead, right. it all shakes down to, again, patients come to you with intention. You know, mm-hmm. people are... Uh, We always joke with people, but uh, when we sit down with new patients, we tell them, look, the only person you're probably going to assess to a deeper degree than us, whether you want a relationship with us, is your spouse. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's because for primary care, Mm -hmm. the arc of your relationship is generally so long. The amount of information you share and discuss and talk about and the, the magnitude of the decisions you're making and the outcomes they potentially have the only thing that rivals typically is, is, you know, your spouse when you're talking about major financial or, you know, other family decisions. decisions. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I know we know a big part of this podcast and what you do is talk with people about culture. uh, Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is, you know, corporate culture. But Mm -hmm. we feel like, you know, culture across the board, the culture mm-hmm. in your home, uh, you know, our own pers- pers- personal culture. Like these are mm-hmm. pieces that I think we, we've got to remain mindful of, too. And it, I think yeah. if, you know, if, if these things are kind of in order, then it will translate to the culture being positive and these other aspects mm-hmm. as well. And certainly it's seemed to be the case for our practice. I know that yeah. for both of us, we're better parents, we're better spouses, I'd say arguably better physicians mm-hmm. um, in this healthier Culture environment that we're currently in.
0: Yeah, gosh, what a great way! We're going to wrap up, but man, that was a great way to tie a to tie a bow on that. But yeah, everything that I hear about the way you're practicing, it's really collaborating with your patients. It's really the best outcomes you can get for them, um, and just holding space for what's really important to them and helping walk through whatever journey they're on. So, I really appreciate your time so much. It gives me lots of energy uh, to think about. Um, helping physicians and just getting your voice elevated in what you're doing. Uh, so I appreciate Thanks. your time. How can people find you?
1: Yeah, so our website's the easiest uh, www.myacropolishealth.com mm-hmm. quick Google search of Dr. Megan Patton, Dr. Brad Patton, Hudson, Ohio, will do it too, because we've not optimized, we're not great with SEO uh, just yet. Uh, But thank you so much for the platform too. I mean, this has been incredible. We're avid listeners Mm -hmm. of your podcast as well. So uh, we appreciate the
0: opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again. And thanks for joining us on the Leadership Pulse.